best Christmas memory? Go. Best Christmas memory. I was about, I think about eight years old. And it was the night that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was going to be on TV. Mm. And we had this big old black and white Motorola. Big ass one. And we had no cable at that point, of course. We just had rabbit ears. And the reception was coming in really badly. And I was wailing because I wanted to see it. I did not want to miss it. And so my mom and my dad picked this huge thing up and took it through the breezeway, through the kitchen, through the dining room, into the living room so I could watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you would even say it glows. All of the And so I remember I was watching Rudolph, and my father came back with this box. And I opened the box, and inside was this ball of fur, and it was our new puppy, Duke. So in one night, I got to see Rudolph, and I got my my dog Duke which we had for years and years and years so that is probably the best Christmas memory how about you sweet you know Christmas is all kind of a blur for me um I do remember like every year my mom really doesn't like to cook Mm -hmm. and so Thanksgiving dinner was kind of an ordeal for her and so Christmas Eve she just didn't have the patience to cook at all so we always got to order pizza on Christmas Eve oh, and that wow. became a tradition so that's kind of what I think of that and the Christmas my little sister was two and she got into the Watkins candy box and took a bite out of each one um, <laughs> I used to do that on the bottom of the candies no she didn't care about the bottom oh, I can oh, see you though maliciously <laughs> on the bottom of the candies oh yeah I, did that. I can mm, totally yeah, see you bottom. doing that well fortunately I don't have to share my Christmas chocolates with you so uh <laughs> I'm safe. Well, we have lots to share today with our listeners uh, to make a really wonderful holiday season. We are going to be talking to Hank Shaw, the author of Duck, Duck, Goose, about how to make the perfect Christmas carol, Christmas Goose. So stay tuned for that and a lot, lot more. My name is David Leet, and I'm the publisher of Leet's Culinario. And I'm Renee Shetler-Rossi, its editor-in-chief. Christmas cookies, sugar. I sure do like those Christmas cookies, babe. The ones that look like Santa Claus, Christmas trees and bells and stars. I sure do like those Christmas cookies, babe. Renee, during the holidays, are you a cookie person, baker, sender, gifter, eater, eater? eater. Um, you know, I used to be, mm-hmm. and it's funny you ask that. There was one year. Um, I was baker extraordinaire, and then something very bad happened. Um, mm. It, I mean, it things ended badly, as they often do with boys, and I haven't made uh, that recipe since, but every year I pull out those cookie cutters, and I pull out that recipe, and I think about it. Yes. And I'm tempted to, mm-hmm. and I think this might be the year. Oh, okay, good. What about you? Well, for me, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. I every year buy my little sparkles and my little sugars and all kinds of flowers and all kinds of cookie cutters. And I have accrued so many and I've not made one Christmas cookie with the exception of gingerbread. Why? The one loves gingerbread. I don't know. I just, I get so overwhelmed with the concept of it. I don't know which one to pick because there's too many to pick. Uh. So what we've done to help all of you out there with that same problem, because most of you do, I'm sure, is that we're talking to three of baking's top ladies 
author Dory Greenspan, Momofuku Milk Bars pastry chef Christina Tozzi, and blogger babe Joy Wilson, a.k.a. Joy the Baker, for their tips and ideas for this year's holiday cookies. For a sugar rush like you've never had before. <laughs> Dory, welcome. So good to be with both of you. It's great to have you Thanks, here. Thanks, Dory. So, Dory, what cookie this year is going to be the cookie du moment for you? The cookie du moment. Oh, J'adore ça. Um, actually, it's going to be the cookie that I love, whether it's the holidays or not. It's mm-hmm. my year-round favorite cookie, and it's the Sublé. It's a vanilla mm. shortbread cookie. And it's just, for me, it's the perfect cookie because it's just pure delight. Mm-hmm. You yeah. taste the butter. Right? There's just enough sugar in it. It's crispy on the outside. It's a little cakey in the center. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm I'm such a confirmed chocolate girl. <laughs> but there's something about the vanilla in this cookie. I mean, vanilla, butter, sugar, egg. Um, you can't go wrong. So simple, so classic. go wrong. And Quartet. so, you know... Every, if you're a swapper, hmm. you're going to get a bunch of gingerbread, and you're going to get yeah. stuff with multicolored sparkles. Yeah. This one pure kind of, you know, it's a simple cookie, but it's kind of elegant mm-hmm. in its simplicity. Absolutely. will stand out as much as anything that's super decorated. I love that point, you know, because it is. The holidays are like an onslaught for the senses in terms of flavors and, and colors and spices. Yeah. It, that's a very good point. Yeah. It's a cookie that I make all year. Mm-hmm. And I think that once other people make it, they'll have the same feeling. It's, mm-hmm. a re- mm-hmm. it's, it's a recipe that you hold on to. That said, what I love about a simple butter cookie mm-hmm. is that you can play with it. Um, so that if you wanted to add spice to it, you could. If you Very wanted nice. to do... Um, cocoa? Co- oh, you could add cocoa to it. I thought you were going to say coconut. Oh, that too? Oh. But you could. So this is, think of this as a basic cookie. Mm-hmm. I love it, pure, simple vanilla. But you could add cocoa, you could add coconut, you could add chopped nuts. Yeah, this is a cookie to make your own that you really can play with for the holidays. I'm thinking the sprinkling of cardamom sugar. Ooh, this Ooh, that'd is be nice. Be great. Oh, that would be very, very nice. You could do your entire cookie swap just using a sable as the base. Well, use the sable as the base, and if you cu- oh, um, wait, 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 you're giving me ideas. Okay. So, <laughs> let's say, okay, so you make the sable, right. and then you cover each cookie with something, mm-hmm. whether it's an icing and then different colored sugars. No one will know it's the, the same, same cookie. cookie. <laughs> I love it. That's a great idea. Surprise! Dory, it was so great to have you here. Thank you so much for sharing your ideas and giving our listeners so many wonderful tips happy holidays to you and to everyone who's listening now christmas cookies are a special treat the more she bakes the more i eat and next we're going to welcome the woman who's responsible for me no longer fitting in my skinny jeans <laughs> christina tozzi from momofuku milk bar welcome christina Hi guys how are you good great to have you i get that comment quite often <laughs> no surprise i've been through all the cookies in your store and i'd be hard pressed to pick a favorite you're probably being <laughs> subsidized by weight watchers yeah getting Someone. everyone fat so they can get them thin several lawsuits with my name on it well plus you're open till midnight which is just just evil evil evil. (laughs) um i would imagine this time of year you're up till midnight baking cookies for your personal collection though we are you know it's a funny thing the holidays are certainly 
the most busy time for us mm-hmm. at Milk Bar. But I'm the crazy kind of cookie woman that I don't care how many hours I spent at work baking for other people when I get home. I just go straight to the mixer. I've been standing nice. in front of a mixer for 14 or 16 hours and I go straight to my mixer at home and I get out my butter and my sugar and I just, I, I don't know, it just never stops. It never gets old. So do you have a favorite Christmas cookie you're making Ooh. this year? You know, my favorite Christmas cookie is the same every year. Oh. It is a um, a cutout cookie recipe that mm-hmm. was passed down to me from one of my grandmothers. Okay. Oh. And I remember as a child falling in love with it, and she would uh, make these cutout cookies with a really simple glaze, and she'd put them in cookie tins and store them in her garage because she yeah. was um, in Ohio and it was cold outside, oh, so that was yeah. her <laughs> sort of her method her of freezing, freeze. which I loved. And I remember running out into the garage and you know getting a tin, and so I sort of made that attachment with these cookies years and years and years ago and i'm you know had her hand me down the recipe and teach me how she does them so Um, what is this cookie i'm dying to find out it's super simple that's like sort of also the funniest thing about it because everything we do at milk bar feels so intricate and like Mm -hmm. sort of harebrained and it's just the most classic simple cookie it's butter light brown sugar all-purpose flour and salt so that's it four ingredients and it's the one of those beautiful recipes where it's four ingredients and every ingredient has just the right amount so that you can taste each thing and it's greater than the sum of its parts Mm -hmm. it's easy to work with um so last year i took the cookie and instead of using all-purpose flour i took oats and i ground them down into a flour-like consistency and i used that in the cookie because i was like i'm gonna eat a lot of these cookies (laughs) (laughs) and when i get the i can't fit into my skinny jeans comment i want to at least be like well but you ate like a bowl of oatmeal when you had these cookies but so this year um i'm really focusing on taking the icing that goes on top of the cookie Mm -hmm. and trying to reimagine it so it's the way that my grandmother used to make it was just confection sugar and water bound together mm-hmm. with just the right amounts so this year i'm working on making these frostings with different flavored liquids so i started cereal actually milk? last night Ooh, cereal milk would be really good that hurts her thing it's all she talks about is cereal <laughs> milk cereal milk cereal milk cereal milk well, well this year to get like extra bubbly and festive i'm <gasps> using champagne oh so I'm taking no. a champagne, like a Brilliant. really nice fruity brute champagne see why i love her and it's great because it still remains yes. so simple Simple, but it gives this like fruitiness and this effervescence. Brilliant. So I'm sort of trying to reimagine the glaze that goes on top of this very simple, classic, classy cookie. So you have to do this for me. Name this champagne imbued cookie of yours. Ooh, I feel like it needs to be something. Obviously, there has to be a nod to the champagne. So I think mm-hmm. it should be something like pour on the fun. Pour, pour on, the, on fun. the fun. I like that. I like pour the on the festivities. Pour on the fun. That's amazing. We're big champagne freaks. Ooh. So to hear that already, well, can't I'm wait already to get the recipe. Freak for your brilliance. <laughs> so um, wow, I I don't think I can speak anymore, David. You're <laughs> gonna have to. It's all you, David. And so how <laughs> long have you been away. making these cookies? The oh basic. my gosh, the basic cookie, uh, probably 15 years, wow. 16 years, and it's one of those recipes that's in. It's in my sister's home. It's in my mother's home. It's sure. in my grandmother's home, and I always, always give it out because I'm a really big believer over the like holiday cookie swaps. Right. That it's also the opportunity. It's the opportunity to like you know share in the festivities and the friendship and the cookies, but to also get to share the recipes. Well, Christina, I think I've regained my powers of speech and uh, <laughs> and my manners, and just want to thank. 
you for your time and for sharing the recipe with us. It's my pleasure. Thanks a lot, Christina. Thank you. Bye, guys. The ones that look like Santa Claus, Christmas trees and bells and stars. I sure do like those Christmas cookies, babe. Now, those sprinkly things just make things worse because it makes them taste better than they did at first. And next up, we have Joy Wilson, who is Joy the Baker. Uh, blogger and also cookbook author. Welcome, Joy. Hello. So tell us, what is your cookie of 2013 for the holidays? Well, my holiday cookie is sort of different for me. It's something I've never made before. Mm-hmm. But I'm always, I've always been obsessed with those layered Italian Simone-type cookies. Mm-hmm. You know, the kinds that have the layer of red, the layer of chocolate, and then the layer of, like, green pistachio. Right. So I'm going to do that this year. and okay. think I'm going to make a sugar cookie base. Yeah. I'm going to stick with the maraschino cherry okay. topping. Mm-hmm. So we'll have a pink cookie layered with a chocolate cookie center. Wow. Right? And yeah. then I'm going to zhuzh that up with a little bit of hazelnut liqueur. Love and that. Then, and then the last layer of this sugar cookie is going to be pistachio. So it's going to be pink, brown, and green. Yeah. and But because I enjoy the baker and I can't leave well enough alone, I feel <laughs> like I need to incorporate potato chips. In oh, the- I love ah, it. Awesome. <laughs> it's a triumphant of flavor and color. I love it. I just need, like, something salty, crunchy in it, so I think I'm going to put potato chips in the chocolate layer. That might just be totally crazy, but that's definitely my cookie. I can see it. How long have you been obsessed with these Italian layer cookies? Well, I I think they're called Italian Simone cookies, but really my only frame of reference for that is, like, this really old church cookbook that I have this recipe. One of those, like the spiral bound ones with like the laminated cover? Totally. That's the cookbook I'm working from. I find that those types of like old school, old Mm -hmm. lady cookbooks have the best Christmas and holiday cookie recipes in them. So I could be totally bastardizing everything Spumoni. See, that's great though, right? (laughs) Yeah. That's Joy the Baker. In typical American fashion. Joy, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us your new reinvented Italian layer cookies. Potato chip inflected Italian cookies. Inflected cookies. And we will send all of our readers and all of our listeners over to Joy the Baker so they can see the fabulous results. Sounds good. Happy holidays. Happy Happy holidays holidays to you too. Now there's a benefit to all of this that you might have overlooked or missed. So now let me tell you the best part of it all. Every time she sticks another batch in the oven, there's 15 minutes for some kissing and a hugging. That's why I... Many thanks to our lovely ladies of baking, including Dory Greenspan, author of many cookbooks, including the upcoming... Baking Chez Baking Chez <laughs> Christina Tozzi, celebrated pastry chef at Momofuku Milk Bar and cookie channeler extraordinaire. And Joy Wilson. Oh, my babe, my babe. <laughs> David's crush and the marvel behind the blog and book, Joy the Baker. I sure do like those Christmas cookies, babe. Is coming, is coming, is coming, is coming.
Christmas is coming, the goose is getting fat. Please put a penny in the old man's hat. If you haven't got a penny, then a hot penny will do. If you haven't got a hot penny, then God bless you. Christmas is coming, the goose is getting fat. Last show, Renee, we talked with Lynn Rosetta Casper, as you know, about some of the biggest Thanksgiving disasters ever that she's heard on her show, The Splendid Table. Mm -hmm. And then it got me thinking, you know, my biggest disaster uh, with fowl, if you will, was not a Thanksgiving, but it was in Christmas. And what was, did you mess up? It was Christmas goose. You made a goose? I had never made a goose before. And I decided that what I was going to do was I was going to do it the way in which I had seen on television with people making turkeys. They're not that different at all. So at least that's what I thought. So I bought a goose from this Italian butcher, and I greased it all up with butter, oh, salt, and pepper, and I put it in the oven, and I roasted it, and then you know I was turning it and turning it, because I was looking for the little pop-up button <sighs> that you get on the Purdue thing, and I'm turning and turning. I can't find the pop-up button, so after a while, I just left it in the oven, and when I took it out, there was this tsunami of grease and right, fat that right. came out, which I did not expect, and I put it on the cutting board, and then I brought it out to the table, and I started to carve. Now, the thing is, as I carved, there was the knife was kind of like just flinting off the side of the, the bird. And I realized after a while, I had turned so many times, oh, I was geez. carving off of its back. And did none of your guests correct you? None of them knew. None of us. This was 25 years ago. Who uh. knew from Goose? So I threw the damn thing in the trash, and we ordered pizza for for Christmas. So that is my big Christmas disaster. But the good thing is our next guest, Hank Shaw, who is the author of the book Duck, Duck, Goose, is That's here to help. That's a great title. Isn't that a wonderful title? Duck, Duck, Goose is here to help us screw our courage to the sticking place and tackle that large bird of all Christmas birds, the Christmas goose. Hank, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm sitting here listening to that story. I'm like, I'm, it's all I can do to not laugh out loud. It's hilarious. <laughs> I know. It's appalling, isn't it, Hank? I find that happens a lot with David. It's hard not to laugh out loud. <laughs> it's just appalling. So, Hank, I would really love to know, why do you think people are so afraid of goose at Christmas time? I, I think it's just, an, you know, it's an unfamiliarity factor. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, you know, a typical home cook will cook chickens sometimes every month even. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a comfortable familiarity with chickens. And turkeys are really, if you think about it, just really big chickens. Right. So there is a kind of a freeze-up factor a little bit with turkey, but it's nothing like geese. Because yeah. even if you cook ducks, which very few people cook whole ducks right now. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a typical home cook that I, in my experience, will cook duck breasts or duck legs, but mm -hmm. you know, whole ducks, not as often. Now, a goose is this giant bird, right? Yes. And they're expensive. Yes, they are. That's <laughs> nerve-wracking, too. Yeah. But so tell me, if, if I were to get a goose, what can I expect from it? How is it going to be different from Oh, it's turkey? usually different. I mean, that's kind of that. That's the, there's just definitely a fear factor that goes on because you're like, oh, yeah, it's a goose. It cost me 60 bucks, mm. you know, sometimes more to get this goose. And it should be able to feed 12, right? But nope. No. The Germans have this fantastic expression. It's I translated roughly. It's like, ah, geese, too much for one, not enough for two. Oh, that's like great. That. That's great. Perfect. Mine was uh, not enough for anyone. Well, there was an added a bit of complication. A but in all honesty, right, so a typical goose that you buy in the store is going to serve six people wonderfully, eight people pretty well, but no more than that. Mm -hmm. okay. So if you have an actual big gathering, you're going to need two geese. Okay. Got a flock. <laughs> yeah, a flock or, of geese. At least a pair. 
And then also, Hank, talk a little bit about the fat differential between geese and chicken and turkey. Oh, it's just, again, it's huge, right? So uh, ducks and geese uh, are migrating birds by nature. Mm -hmm. So in the fall months and winter months, what they do is they put on fat because, you know, somewhere in the deep recesses of a goose's mind, he's like, oh, I've got to fly somewhere. Right. And to fly somewhere, I'm going to have to put on weight because otherwise I'm going to just die midair, which, mm -hmm. in fact, some birds do in the wild. Oh, wow. So domestic birds no longer migrate but they still have the same instincts, so they put on enormous amounts of fat. See, that's the reason why I'm as big as I am, because somewhere in the recesses of my mind, I think that I have to migrate somewhere. <laughs> the migrating Portuguese leets. There you go. <laughs> so, Hank, how does this affect how I'm going to roast my goose? Um, I, I think the biggest thing that you have to remember with uh, waterfowl in general versus gallinoles, which are anything from a quail to a turkey. Mm -hmm. So most poultry that we cook are, are in the same family. Quail, turkey, partridges, uh, pheasants, um, chickens, they're all kind of in the same group. But waterfowl are in a different group. And the, the thing you know about a, a chicken is the sweet spot for chicken thighs or chicken legs mm -hmm. is somewhere around 165, 170. Mm -hmm. Right. The sweet spot for a breast is somewhere around 150, 155. Right. Not that far. You know, so with a little bit of skill, you can pull it off. The problem is, with waterfowl, the sweet spot for the legs is, again, you know, 165, 170, somewhere mm. around there. But the sweet spot for the breast is about 140. Ooh. It's that much different. Wow. Oh, yeah. 35 degrees is a huge deal. Yeah. And it's virtually impossible to do it with a, with a domesticated goose. And although I do have a special method that I have in the book that will set you free if you are willing to give up a little Norman Rockwell. Okay. All right. Before we get there, tell us then, before we make your incredible goose, how do you pick out a great goose if we can't go out and shoot it like you do? Well, yeah. I mean, most people don't. So <laughs> um, try to buy fresh. Okay. If you, can, if you can get a fresh goose, that's always going to be a little better than a frozen goose. Sure. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the dominant company in this country is Schiltz, and right. they're in South Dakota. Yeah. They actually make a good product. So, I mean, it's, there's no... There's no real serious quality loss in a frozen vacuum sealed goose. Um, but, I, I, you know, I would like to buy fresh and local if I can. Mm -hmm. So, Hank, I'm almost convinced here about making a goose for this Christmas, mm -hmm. but help me out here. Um, I know you give away all your secrets in the book, but can you just kind of step me through a cheat sheet of how to make a Christmas carol worthy goose? Absolutely. And as I mentioned before, you do have to give up one Norman Rockwell moment. But and what is that? That moment is having that beautiful goose on the table and then carving it tableside with everyone going, ooh, ah, oh. right. If you can live without that, you're good I can go. live without that. No, see, it's the David show at Christmas time. So I, you well, know, I like everyone ooing and eyeing over me. Let's pretend we're so. on the Renee show. Hey. So this is the Renee show. So what would Renee do on her show? So here's what I do. So I will take some uh, goose fat out mm -hmm. of the cavity, because they all have excess cat goose right. fat, and put it in a pan and render it just so it liquefies a little bit. Because, you know, why not cook with goose grease if you have goose and available? goose grease is like duck oh, fat, right? Yeah. It's just... Yeah. And it, oh. it's even better than duck fat. It is, in fact, even less saturated than duck fat. As if the, I needed another excuse to uh, indulge in. It is the lowest saturated animal fat, to my knowledge. Nice. Wow. Okay, so I've got the grease. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And what you do is you kind of grease a big roasting pan, and you take random root vegetables of your choice, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
and toss them in that goose grease and a little salt, and you line the bottom of the roasting pan with it. I'm with you. You stick Mr. Goose on top. Mm-hmm. Breast um, up or breast down? Breast up. Thank you. And, uh, you you know, if you want, you can smear them all over with a little bit of goose fat and then salt them well. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the extra oil, you don't want a lot, but you do want enough to, to be able to get the salt to stick to the goose. Sure. Good point, yes. And so you sit him in, you know, you can choose your method, actually. You can go 400 degrees, mm-hmm. or you can go 300 degrees, or you can go 350. It's just all sort of up to you and how fast you want to cook it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't matter as much because guess what you do midstream? When the breasts of the goose reach about 130, 135 I knew degrees, it. You take them off. Yes. Yeah. You take them off. And you take the whole pan out. And you take the breasts off in one piece. Well, I mean, two pieces each half. And then you lay them on a cutting board to rest. And you put everything back in. And then when your legs and wings are done, mm-hmm. and, you know, you can pretty much tell. The, the, the uh, skin begins to pull back from the drumstick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're looking for a temperature, 170 is always a nice one. Okay. But what it also does is it pre-roasts the carcass of the goose for your soup the next day. Oh, man, this is really very clever. So then, everything else is done. You're pretty much ready to rock. And you've made your giblet gravy. Mm -hmm. And to finish, all you do is take a frying pan and lay those goose breasts skin side down in the frying pan. And this this only takes about two or three minutes. And you re-crisp up the skin. And by doing that, then you have crispy skin on goose breast cooked medium. So it's still nice and pink and juicy, like a steak. And then your legs and your thighs are practically confit. And they've been bathing those root vegetables the whole time in goose fat. My, oh my. Oh my, oh my. I feel like bathing in goose (laughs) fat right now. That really is fantastic. I have to tell you, I've made a lot of geese over the years. I have actually learned how to do it, but I've never done it that way. Hank, um, if you'll excuse me, I'm off to go check my local market for <laughs> goose. Uh, but we really appreciate you uh, taking the time to chat with us today. Well, thanks a ton for having me on. Hank Shaw is a journalist, former restaurant chef, and the proprietor of Hunter Angler Gardener Cook, the James Beard and IACP award-winning blog. And also, he is the author of the new book. Wait, wait, wait. Duck I want to say it. You I love say saying it. it. Say it. You say it. <laughs> duck, duck, goose. There you go. Happy holidays, Hank. (laughs) Happy holidays to you guys, too. Have you seen Pulp Fiction? Yes, of course I've seen Pulp Fiction. It's an American classic, right? Absolutely. And I'm a classic American, so I've seen it. (laughs) Well, you remember the scene Mm -hmm. where they're driving and he accidentally shoots the guy in the back seat? And that was the first time I saw it. The first time I saw it, I walked out at that point. Oh. Well, yeah. it, I mean, it was kind of crazy messy. I yeah. mean, white interior and everything. But anyways, do you, so did you miss the next part then where they called in the fixer? No, I saw it the second right. time. They brought in Harvey Keitel yes. and like he made everything better. But, yeah. Well, when I was on staff at one of the glossy magazines here in Manhattan, mm-hmm. we had a fixer on staff. Ah, uh, the fixer. Anything entertaining related, whenever I had a question, all I had to do was walk into her office mm-hmm. and everything was brilliantly solved. And so she was the Glinda of fixing. 
Yeah, you could say that. And actually, it's kind of a crude analogy, given as lovely as she is, but it's how I've always thought of her. And clearly, I'm not the only one because she's currently columnist at The Washington Post as well, among other things. Um, Elizabeth Mayhew is here with us today, and I can't tell you how thrilled I am to be sitting next to you knowing that you're about to solve my holiday entertaining problems again. And I'm sure all of mine, too. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I didn't know I was like the fix it girl, and I'm glad to <laughs> hear that uh, it that I did something right. So, well, I want to just get this out right now. Do you agree with me that the days of entertaining, where you would buy a beehive to collect your wax to make your bee wax candles, that's going to light your <laughs> crash, that's made with birch wood, that comes from the birch wood trees that come from your backyard that you just felled, are over? That all cost a ton of money. Yes, and drive you crazy. Over. Thank yeah, you. It's, it's just, show last um, decade. It's just not ever been where I've lived or my family's lived, and I don't truly believe that's what the holidays are all about. Mm. So I think it's really about special time with your friends and family and the easiest you can make it. Now, you want it to be stylish, of course, and absolutely. you want it to taste good, but you absolutely do not need to do everything from scratch. And see, I tried that for years, and especially the entertaining part. And I just was a miserable wreck. It's so funny. I had my neighbor literally come down to my apartment the other day. Mm-hmm. She is an incredibly accomplished woman. This woman worked mm-hmm. for a major network. I mean, we're talking like huge. And she has a phobia about entertaining. She literally came down into my apartment to ask my advice as if I was like the psychiatrist, you know, couch. <laughs> well, you're about fixer. entertaining. No, I know. But like this whole notion that everything has to be hard uh, and complicated, yeah. it's just not what it needs to be. Well, it... It paralyzes people. You know, this anxiety over getting it perfect. And Renee, those are the exact words that she used. And I think to say it needs to be perfect, my answer is turn the lights down. There's a reason restaurants have dimmers. (laughs) People will not see all the cracks and they won't see the mess. Light some candles and just make it easy. And that starts with everything from how you set the table to how you conceive the meal. A buffet is a much nicer, convivial way to have a party, Mm -hmm. in my estimation, than some Mm -hmm. formal sit-down. And also what you choose to cook. No one wants the hostess to remain in the kitchen all afternoon, all day, and all night. And I think, for me, I get the cooking thing down. For the most part, I get anxious, I do. But I get that down. That's what I do. As soon as that's done, entertaining's an afterthought. I mean, if there are plates on the table, if the one who was my partner didn't put it on there, we're at a loss. So what are your top five tips that are... Quick, easy, that can take any party and amp it up. Okay, my first one, dim the lights, light the candles. Brilliant. Because it sets a mood and an ambience. Number two, you really, this is kind of not in chronological order, but you really need to plan ahead. That Mm -hmm. means not just getting the plates out, but also getting the serving pieces out, what the platter's going to be. I always like to take a Post-it note and put Mm -hmm. it on top of the platter and say, this is where the turkey's going. And also have the... The serving utensils out too, so it means going the extra step. I think you got to have music. Music is nice; it doesn't need to be blaring. But we are living in an amazing world of Sirius XM and all of the yeah. great right. ways podcast, whatever you want to do. Have your great playlist because I do think that that sets an ambience. Mm-hmm. I also like to limit drinks. I don't think you need to be an open bar. So I basically always serve red wine, white wine. 
and sparkling water, and I leave it at that. I'm not getting into all the mixes. That's not to say you can't have one nice drink mm-hmm. when people come. Like a signature drink for the holiday. Or a signature punch, perhaps. Or a signature punch. Right, something that you can make ahead. And then lastly, you need to smile and have a good time. And I think one thing in my neighbor's case that really stressed mm-hmm. her out was potentially bringing together people who maybe wouldn't get along. In the holidays, sometimes you might have family members who have different political views mm-hmm. right. or all kinds of things. And you as the hostess really need to guide the conversation and maybe say what's on limits and off limits. One thing I always think if you do have a contentious family, something that you can do, and this is kind of a long-winded five things, but pick a book at Thanksgiving or at Christmas that everybody reads and then discuss that book at the meal. Oh, that's what a great idea. A way to do it. At least that yeah. way you kind of keep it contained. And what is your thought on buying food and then coming home and plating it and having nothing to do with the cooking of it? I have absolutely no problems with that. I think You wouldn't that think less of me. I would absolutely not. In fact, I have done many a story, many a segment on how to upgrade takeout food. I think as long as you plate it nicely, mm-hmm. add some nice herbs, buy some little clementine that you put on the platter, anything that can just take it up a notch. The one thing I would think about when you're doing your meal, particularly takeout food, is it can look very bland and very brown. Mm-hmm. So I always like to add a little color to sure. it. If that's, you're making a, a salad, add radicchio or some red cabbage or something that just gives it a a little punch. What about for decorating? So for decorating, I always kind of go to a few things. One is I always have a collection of cylinder clear glass vases, mm. mostly because they're cheap nice. and you can fill them with all kinds of things. So a lot of times I'll fill them with different color candies for the holidays. I've always, and Renee knows this because she's seen me do it before, but I do like a combination of little clementine or little mandarin oranges and peppermint balls. I also love magnolia leaves because I think they're so beautiful with the green side and the brown side. And if you have a bunch of extra Christmas balls, you can always just stick them in a bowl on the center of the table. It's exactly what we do. We Our living room in the country is white and blue, so we have these big bowls that we do all silver and blue Christmas balls, right. and that's what we keep on both sides of the fireplace. Good for Hanukkah, too. Yeah, I never You're thought about for that. Hanukkah. Oh, look at that. Yes. <laughs> now, this is all for sit-down, but I also love the idea of an open house. To me, an open house in the holidays mm-hmm. is one of the best things that you can do. So just invite people to come during a period of time, and you can just have a big buffet set out in your dining room and make it, uh, you know, I like intergenerational. I don't really believe in the kids' table. So I think kids need to be part of everything. Love it. And when I do Christmas Eve, which I do do at my house, Mm -hmm. I mix everybody together. So little kids sit next to parents that they maybe know, but they don't, they aren't related to. And I think that's a great lesson for our kids. They need to grow up knowing how to sit at a table and how to have a conversation with an adult. So I think you can use it as a learning opportunity as well. Those are incredible ideas. The fixer, I told you. (laughs) Absolutely the fixer. (laughs) Elizabeth, it's been so great seeing you again. Thanks so much. I learned a lot as always. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Elizabeth. Elizabeth Mayhew is a lifestyle expert, NBC Today Show contributor, Washington Post columnist, and has worked for House Beautiful, Real Simple, Southern Living, and Women's Day. You'll find more of her problem-solving brilliance at ElizabethMayhew.com.
cocktail party this December. You are? Yeah, you know me. I don't entertain much. No, you don't. I love cocktail parties. And, you know, I remember this one I threw when I was, like, 28, like, mm-hmm. so last year. And <laughs> One wishes. It was in December. You know, everyone's already really festive. And... It was it was just so fabulous. Everybody raved about it for weeks, and you, you know what the secret was, though the yeah. one thing what they raved about was the punches. I didn't have cocktails; I had punch. So you had a punch party. I had a punch party, and I gotta say, like everybody was just felt so retro and classy. And I've been thinking I'm gonna do that again this year, but I'm gonna do it this time with the advice of our next guest, mm-hmm. whose book I just saw in recent weeks, and. I got to tell you, she makes punches look so sexy. Oh, that's nice. Sexy punches. And it makes sense, knowing that she's got a background in fashion. So, author of Winter Cocktails, Maria Del Mar Sacasa. Maria Del Mar Sacasa. (laughs) What he said is with us here to help me have the best cocktail party ever. Welcome, Maria. Thank you for having me. So, Maria, tell me, why punches? Um, well, I guess I'm, I'm obsessed with punches mostly because I like to pretend I'm a wonderful entertainer and I do have people over quite often, but I'm a food stylist and I'm always one foot in and one foot out and it's very difficult for me to actually put together a very organized party. So punch is a natural go-to for me because it's the easiest way to have a signature drink or something that's really special, and then it's very hands-off. You have the punch, and people can serve themselves, you can serve it for them, but you don't have to be playing a bartender at your own party, so you can be a guest too. So that was the major appeal for me. I'm completely with you there, and that was the whole point of me having punches the last time. I thought it was going to be easy. I didn't realize it was going to be so impressive as well. I noticed you use a lot of Prosecco. As one should. I adore Prosecco. Maria, why do you like Prosecco in your punches? Well, the expense is actually one of the first um, reasons for it because I always tell people that when you're making punch, I don't like to go, you know, completely, completely low budget on the major alcohol that you're featuring. So, for example, um, the... Uh, one of the cocktails has Applejack, the Orchard Fet, and mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. really important. But then for filler, which is, um, and for the filler and the bubbles, which is what you're using the Prosecco for, don't go and use your Dom Perignon that you bought for your <laughs> anniversary because that's a special champagne and it's meant to be enjoyed on its own. And once you put it in there with a mess of other ingredients, it's not the same thing, and you're going to lose it and waste it. So I really advise to find, you know, find a couple of bottles that you like that are in a good price range. And also I do um, often opt for something that's a bit drier because the other ingredients, if you have simple syrup or any other sort of Um, sweetener in there, you want that. Mm -hmm. I don't like anything that's cloying, Mm -hmm. especially my drinks. So I always like to have this dry um, element to these mixes. So, Maria, I have a house in Connecticut, which basically means that around every corner there's an AA meeting. So can you, can you use club soda in place of Prosecco? You can. 
and I actually uh, recommend it in general to people who are perhaps driving or during the holidays especially, you wind up having to go to a bunch of different parties and you want to have the drink. And sometimes I do this for people who just want a particular cocktail, and Mm -hmm. it's a way of watering it down a bit, but also not like water. It's fizzy, and it's got a little bit of a bite to it, and that's really helpful. So feel free to do that with the punches as well if you want to. Um, reduce the amount of alcohol. Make sure people don't get punch drunk. Right, exactly. Um, So the big thing that I ran into when I was throwing my party was, like, what do I serve it in? And thank goodness one of my girlfriend's mom's friends had a punch bowl that was just gorgeous and enormous. A proper punch bowl. A proper punch bowl. (laughs) Um, But so what do I do now when, when I don't have a punch bowl? So I also have a very enviable punch bowl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. However, um, sometimes I make more than one punch. And yeah. for people who don't have a punch bowl, mm-hmm. that is actually the biggest um, freak out that they have. Where am I going to serve this? So A, there are a lot of stores out there that sell punch bowls that are simple glass and mm-hmm. They are inexpensive, and then you know what? Use it for a salad bowl, or vice versa. Oh, great! Yeah, that's Find a, good a idea. big glass salad bowl. But if you have any interesting vessels uh, that are large enough to share with the crowd, then that's absolutely fine. The other thing that you could use is a large pitcher. Honestly, you know, any big old vessel that's just screaming party is going to work out just fine. So mixing and matching. Punch bowls and pitchers, that's perfectly yeah. fine. And glasses, too. And glasses, all different I mean, shapes of glasses and sizes of glasses is fine, too. Absolutely. Um, I've even, because I've put a number of punches together at times and I really don't have enough vessels, I've done large mason jars that have the core mixture. I love that. And yeah. then I have people top it off with champagne or club soda. Brilliant. And then they can get in on the act, too. That's terrific. Exactly. And I was kind of thinking, actually, this year for my party, it might not be an evening cocktail party. Like, I was thinking of doing brunch, and I was wondering, could I just throw a bunch of bellinis together in a big punch bowl? Absolutely. I think there's a number of drinks out there that, um, especially if you like your bubbly, that just do well with a splash of it. And uh, I have one punch in here called Sweet Surrender, and it's actually uh, chamomile-based. So there's a chamomile-infused gin, or you can do it with vodka also. And then there's actually chamomile tea. Mm -hmm. So you can take whatever your base flavors are and then just turn it into a punch. And I obviously don't recommend turning your dirty martini or your Gibson into a punch. (laughs) I wonder why. (laughs) I think you can figure it out. (laughs) Maria, thank you so much for uh, making my next cocktail party a hit. Well, thank you so much for having me, and happy festivities. Maria Del Mar Sacasa is a professional food stylist, editor, and also recipe developer. She's a graduate of the French Culinary Institute and is the author of the recently released and absolutely beautiful book, Gorgeous Book, Winter Cocktails. So, Renee, this is, I promise, the very last time I will ask you this, at least this year. <laughs> What is on our specials board for the holidays? Okay, one last time. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
This Christmas, mm-hmm. we're bringing you amazing centerpieces. Mm-hmm. Whether you want ham or turkey or duck or goose or roast, we've got you covered. Mm-hmm. We've also got some really eclectic as well as traditional make-ahead side dishes, which take the emphasis off having you in the kitchen and on being out in the dining room with your guests. Any edible gifts to give friends and family for the Oh, holiday? absolutely. We've got boozy lollipops. Mm-hmm. We've got fudge. We've got bark. We've got caramel of all sorts. I mean, we've got homemade sriracha sauce. We've got all kinds of oh, And also our cookie slideshow. Oh, well, yeah. Tons of That those. goes without saying. We've got literally dozens and dozens of cookies. Well, well, I think that you have earned your keep for 2013. <sighs> Thanks, David. Leave it to our producer, Tom Vagley, to go through the archives and find this, I think what is perhaps the worst holiday song ever, called The Fruitcake That Ate New Jersey. Oh, Thanks no. to the ensemble singers of the Vocal Essence and their fabulously funny leader, Philip Brunel, for this little-known and understandably little-known holiday chestnut. Oh. Ends up as a hunk of mincemeat. A horrible thing to end up on the plate of the fruitcake that ate New Jersey. The moral of this tale of woe and hurt. Stick to the fruit cup and skip dessert. just want to wish you and E and everyone in your family and all of our listeners out there a wonderful holiday season and a happy 2014. Thank you and to you and to everyone. Happy New Year. Talking With My Mouthful is produced by Tom Vagley with Jennifer Russell and is recorded by Paul Ruest at Argo Studios in New York City.